is like the Lord, awesome in power, majestic in glory, the faithful witness, the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the eternal God, the righteous King, the judge over all the earth who is perfectly just, perfectly righteous, perfectly good, and is trustworthy and loyal and generous and whose steadfast love endures forever and whose faithfulness endures to all generations. How great is our God who is like the Lord. God, we recognize you and acknowledge you for who you are in this place. Help us to know you more today. Help us to love you more today. Holy Spirit, give us clarity through your word today and stir our hearts in a faithful response to you today. God, we need you. In this moment right now, whatever's happened this week, those who are weary, if we just cast those cares upon you because you care for us and you are great and you are over that. Fix our eyes off our circumstance and onto the one who's over it. Right now, refresh our hearts, revive our hearts, renew our love for you in this place. Remind us of who you are. Say what you want to say. Guard my mouth from error. Do what you want to do. And may the name of Jesus Christ, the head of this church, be exalted over all. Church, if you agree in Jesus' name, say amen. Amen. You may be seated. Well, let's open up our Bibles to Psalm 100. Psalm 100. If you do not have a copy of God's Word in front of you, put your hand up. Our ushers are coming forward right now. We want to place a Bible in your lap so you can follow along as we go uh, verse by verse, word by word, through Psalm 100. And on those Bibles that are being handed out, it is on page 287. Page 287. And just a little recap, we're in the middle of a series. We've got about two weeks left. After this, we're in a series called The Heart of Worship, and its focus is to answer a few key questions when it comes to worship and the heart that God desires from us in it. Number one, what is true worship? What is true worship? Secondly, what is the heart that God desires from us in worship if he is to receive it? He's very clear about this in his word, about what he desires. And from the overflow of the heart, it answers the question, what does living a life of true worship actually look like? We know that worship is to be a lifestyle, not just a Sunday morning thing or when you're tuning into your car and blasting the radio thing. That's part of it, but it is to be a lifestyle. So what is that to look like? Well, let's get our definition of worship that we've been unpacking over these last four weeks from God's word. We want to know what he says it is. And it says this, worship is the passionate expression of my love for God because of his love for me that overflows in my life, there's the heart, and from my life, there's the action. The passionate expression of my love for God because of his love for me that overflows in my life and from my life. Now, some of the expressions that we have looked at already that we see throughout the Psalms of the heart of worship. Number one was 
a posture, an expression of dependency. That's where everything starts. A dependency upon God leading to, as we saw in week two, a repentant heart before God. One that is constantly turning away from the filth of its sin and turning toward the holiness and restoration in the Savior. Dependency upon God leads to repentance before God. And as we live lives of repentance, as we saw in Psalm 51, it leads to satisfaction in God. What we looked at last week from Psalm 63, a satisfaction in God, pursuing God's presence over God's performance. And today, from the overflow of a heart that is increasingly satisfied in the Lord, we see that a heart, it is a heart that is increasingly thankful to the Lord. Increasingly thankful to God for who he is and for what he's done. Now, there's a lot of people in this room, so let's make sure we're, we're getting clear on what we mean when we say the term thankfulness, because there's a lot of uh, presuppositions we bring in. And the Hebrew word for thankfulness just means this, and you can even see this. It's actually not that different from even dictionary.com, what we call it thankfulness to be, and it is this. You'll see it on the screen. A conscious, that's key, a conscious expression of gratitude for a benefit received. A conscious expression. Now the word conscious there indicates something. Thankfulness is a choice. Thankfulness does not just happen naturally. Thanklessness is the mark of the life of an unbeliever. No question. Thankfulness is a choice, a conscious expression of gratitude for a benefit received. Now, why does God make such a big deal about thankfulness? In the Psalter alone, the term give thanks is used over 114 times. And that's just in the Psalter. That's not in the rest of the book. So why is God so emphasizing this theme of thankfulness? Well, it's quite simple. When we look throughout the canon of scripture, we can't live a life of worship of God if we're not living a life in thankfulness to God. It's impossible. You and I cannot live a life of worship to God if we are not living a life of thankfulness to God. Thankfulness fuels worship. We could say it this way. You'll see it on the screen. Gratitude is the attitude that will set the magnitude or the size of our worship. Big thankfulness, big worship. Small thankfulness, small worship. Gratitude is the attitude that sets the magnitude for our worship. You say, well, how do you know that? This is why in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, you'll see it on the screen. God says, give thanks in all circumstances. What's that? Throughout your entire life. And if there you see, you just kick back two verses to verse 16, it says, rejoice always. What's that? Worship. So if we're to rejoice always and we're to give thanks always, hmm, there's a very strong correlation there that thankfulness fuels worship. Sets the size of our worship. But there's a problem. Would you agree with me? You look around, maybe look at your schedule this past week. Maybe look at our culture today. There's a big problem. Our lives are more often characterized by thanklessness than thankfulness. thanklessness rather than thankfulness. And our culture feeds this. It's a daily heart battle. Will I choose to give thanks in my circumstance? And it's easy. We can do that, right? When things go our way, 
I can be thankful in this circumstance right now because I'm getting what I want. I got the job I want. I got the grades I want. I got my paycheck. I got my health. I got my comfort. I'm not suffering. But do you notice one of my favorite lines in that song, God, you're so good? What does it say? And should this life bring suffering, Lord, I will remember your goodness and give thanks. How about our thankfulness then? When the health is crippling, when the loss seems so unbearable. And the result of living thankless lives is that instead of living lives of grateful worship for who God is and what he's done for us, which is not based on our circumstances, by the way, we live lives that worship who we are and what we want. But here in our text, we see two postures of the heart we must increasingly embrace. And let me emphasize this, loved ones. You and I will never hit our thankfulness ceiling. Okay? It's not like, well, I've got my thankfulness today. I've reached all that I can. It won't happen on this side of eternity. We must increasingly embrace these two postures of the heart by the Spirit of God if we are to live lives of true worship in thankfulness to God, no matter our circumstances, and see him glorified through them. Let's honor the authority of God's word as we stand to read Psalm 100, verses 1 to 5. His steadfast love endures forever. Verse 1, make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. Hear the word of the Lord, loved ones. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Well, the first truth that we are confronted with from verses 1 to 3 in this text is as follows. A thankful heart is a heart of worship that praises God for who he is. It praises God for who he is. And the question that we are faced with from this truth is this. Jesus is my king and creator. Am I living in thankful praise to him? Am I living in thankful praise? Look at one to three again. Make a joyful noise to the Lord, all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. All right, we need to interpret scripture in context, so let's get our context. Psalm 100, we don't know who wrote it, but what we do know is that it is a hymn of thankfulness to God. You can see that even in the subtitle there, a psalm for giving thanks. Hymn of thankfulness to God that was sung by worshipers who were preparing to enter the sanctuary of the temple. They would go up to Jerusalem and they're preparing to enter the sanctuary to offer their sacrifices and their praise to God. And the emphasis of this psalm, and this psalm is actually like the exclamation mark that sums up all of Psalms 96 to 99, that they emphasize God's kingship and his sovereign rule over authority. And the emphasis of this one is no different. 
It emphasizes kingship and authority over all creation. And here's what it calls us to, stunning. It calls all people to acknowledge God's kingship over all. It is a call to praise the Lord through thanksgiving and instructs us on how we are to do that, but not just how we're to do that, why we're to do that. And so you see in verses 1 to 3, after in verse 1, inviting all the earth, that is all people on the earth, to worship the Lord through thanksgiving. And it gives us three expressions of that that we'll unpack in a little bit. The psalmist, in verse 3 then, gives the first reason we are to worship the Lord with thankfulness. Here's, here's the reason he gives. You notice that in verse 3? He alone is the Lord over all, and we are his people. Why is that so significant? Because here's what that shows. Ready? True thankfulness begins by humbling ourselves before God and acknowledging him for who he is and realizing who we are before him. True thankfulness begins with humility. Of course it does. God will oppose the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. It is being able to see the Lord for who he is and know that he is God and I am not. What he says goes, not what I say. His kingdom come, my kingdom go. True thankfulness has to start with true humility, loved ones. Otherwise, we fall into this posture of, I'm entitled to fill in the blank. I deserve fill in the blank. True thankfulness has to start with true humility. And this is why the psalmist commands us to know. Notice that in verse 3. Here's the reason we're to give thanks. Know. What does that Hebrew word know mean right there? It means this. Realize or confess or to be completely assured of the truth. To be completely assured that the Lord is God alone. Don't have a doubt in your mind that the Lord is God alone. Now notice, notice, you say, well, well okay, so who's the Lord? Just look at the name that God gives himself here. He uses two different names for himself, emphasizing all these different attributes about him. Notice there it says, know that the Lord, what does the Lord mean? You'll see it on the screen. The Hebrew word is Yahweh. Yahweh, which means he is the creator and performer of his promises. He is the creator of all things and he performs all of his promises and through scripture we have over 3,000 of them and he's never broken one. What's one word for that? Awesome. Creator and performer of promises, the absolute, I love that, absolute truth, absolute character, and look, unchanging one. Aren't you thankful for that? Our circumstances are going to change this week, I don't know how many times, but our God never will. Know that the Lord, he is God. See, and if that's not enough, the psalmist is like, okay, so here's, all these attributes of God, but notice what he goes on to say. Know that the Lord, verse 3, he is God. What's the name for God that God gives himself there? Here's the other one. You'll see it on the screen. Hebrew is Elohim. Hebrew is Elohim, which means this, supreme and sovereign. 
supreme in power, supreme in authority, and sovereign over all. If I could sum that up in today's terms, I said what God says goes. The only true God who is faithful and great. Look how God chooses to describe himself for us. Are we getting the picture? You and I are not absolute and unchanging. We are not the creator of all things. Last time I checked, God gave you that breath you're breathing right now, not you. You get it because of his love towards you. No other reason. He decided to give it to you. Does that humble you? In awe of our king? That he didn't just give it to you, but right now he's giving it to over 9 billion people on this earth? Oh, let's not even mention the animals. Or the vegetation that's growing right now. That he's giving life to. That's awesome. He is awesome. How great is our God. And how great is he? He gives us a snapshot. Just keep reading the text. He says, it is he who made us. Notice the recognition. He's the creator. He's the one with the authority. I am not. Not we ourselves. You'll see in the superscript there. from Not we ourselves. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Now, let's get some context. We ought to always interpret scripture in context. Let's get some clarity. Remember, in this context, he says, we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. The psalmist is talking about the people of Israel. God's chosen nation. We see that all throughout the Old Testament. Notice the word people there, it means kin. We are his children. Kin. We are his children who are part of his flock that he is the shepherd over. Now, no, no, what does that what does that give the indication of? We are dependent on him and to him for his protection and provision. See, this is why. This is why, just from this verse alone, this jam-packed three verses. This is why from this verse alone, true thankfulness, true worship can only begin through an acknowledgement in humility that he is God and I am not. Who God is and who I am in light of that. He created us. We are his, not the other way around. We can't create God to be who we want him to be. He's spoken who he is, and he calls us to humbly acknowledge that if we are to worship him with a right heart in that. Now, let's just look at the imagery God used. Out of all the things God could use to give the picture of his power and authority and love for his people. Watch this. He uses the shepherd and the sheep. Let's put those up on the screen. I love these pictures. Especially, I just love the picture on the left there. See, they're all following the shepherd. Watch this. Let me just ask you a question before we jump in there. As you look at those pictures, what would happen to the sheep without the shepherd? Like, look at the ones on the right. That pasture looks all nice right now, but I guarantee it's full of wolves. Ask yourself the question, what would happen to the sheep without the shepherd? Could they just make it on their own? Would they be able to kind of know what field to navigate to and how to fight off a flock of wolves that was coming? 
What would happen to the sheep without the shepherd? See, here's what we have to realize as you look at Without the shepherd's care, and this is a shot to our pride big time that we need every day. Without the shepherd's care, protection and provision, those sheep would be dead. defenseless and hopeless against anything that could come against them. See the picture God is painting for us here? I created you. I'm the one who protects you. You can try that independent stuff if you want. It's not going to work for you because I created you to be mine. The sheep can't defend themselves. They are completely dependent upon the shepherd. They need his guidance. Look at, they're just following him. They're like, we're just going to go where you, where you take us. We're going to trust you. They need his guidance. They need his wisdom. They need his care. They need his concern. They need his protection. They need him laying down his life and putting his own safety on the line so he can protect them. Some Sum it all up. They're dead without him. Yet in his mercy, you see that? In his mercy, that shepherd chooses them. Who chose who? Did the shepherd choose the sheep or did the sheep line up a bunch of shepherds and say, oh, I think I'll take this one? Who chose who? In his mercy, he chooses them to be his own as a part of his flock, and he cares for them, provides for them. And here's the, here's the most staggering thing. Does this not humble us? Even though none of those sheep did anything to deserve that. It's not like he put them through a bunch of tests and say, wow, you scored really high. You've got lots of merit. And in the same way, in the same way, Our God, let this blow your mind today. You have my permission. Blow your mind with this, okay? In the same way, our God, supreme, sovereign, the one who has all authority, the one who is the king of all kings, has done this for us. And he didn't need us. He chose to do it. How did he choose? By sending his only son, Jesus Christ, as fully God and fully man. He looked upon this world and said, you have no hope. You are completely defenseless against the penalty of sin, which is death and separation from me in eternity in hell. You are completely defenseless to do anything about that. I'm sending you a shepherd and his name is Jesus and his name is my son fully God and fully man to look at you in your despair and your defenselessness and to come to your rescue by living a perfect life without sin, going to the cross and paying the penalty for your sin so that in him, if you repent of your sin and confess him alone as God, as him alone, as your Lord and Savior, you will be saved and forgiven of all sin. That's why Jesus himself says in John 
10, 11, he says, you'll see it on the screen, I am the good shepherd. God, you're so good. The good shepherd lays his life down for the sheep. And when you're in that week where you're going through that suffering and you're going through that trial or you've sinned and you're carrying guilt and shame over that, you run to the truth of who Jesus is and you say, Jesus, I'm feeling condemned and I'm feeling beaten down and I'm feeling discouraged. And Jesus says, I am your shepherd. You're saved in me. You've given your life. You've chosen me over the dead end of this world. You are mine and you have my protection and you have my provision. I'm enough for you right in the middle of that. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. But I gave my life for you because I loved you and it was not based on what you do, but on who I am. I am the living God. I am your creator. I have made you fearfully and wonderfully. Get your head up, child. Let's keep moving. that humble you? I don't know about you, but when I think about my past week, I'm like, God, what were you thinking? Why did you choose me? I love this quote that came to mind this week. When people, you'll see it on the screen, when people confess that Jesus is the Savior and they truly realize that he's their shepherd and what that means, that he's their shepherd that made them for his glory, their response will be thankful and joyous praise. How can it not be? And if you're saved in Jesus Christ, if you've made that decision to repent of your sin and confess him as your Lord and Savior alone, believing he's the Son of God, are you living in thankful praise? Does this still capture your attention every day? Are we still in awe of this truth? The one who didn't need us chose us to be his own. Let it. Say, Lord, help it to be. And you say, well, what does this thankful praise look like? Like, how do we, how does God say this is to look like through our worship? And this entails a lot of things, but we see three things from this text in these first two verses that God says this thankful praise in response to this is to look like. Number one, three expressions. Thankful praise makes a joyful sound. My lips will declare him. Makes a joyful sound. Look at verse one again, right from the text. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth, a joyful noise. See, beautiful. The term joyful noise there means this in the Hebrew. Raise a shout. Get your hands out of your pockets. Stop doing this. Raise a shout in public. Notice, this is written to the congregation in public as they are marching towards the sanctuary of the temple. Raise a shout in public. It means to rejoice or to cheer passionately. Now, there's a lot of things that we get passionate about. I saw some guy, I'll never forget, I saw some guy the other day at some football game and he's got like his face painted and he's ripping his shirts in the stands. That's crazy. Sorry to put that image in your head. But he's 
he's like, he's there doing this. I'm like, man, you're fired up. But listen to me. If there's anything that you and I are to be fired up, it's about the fact that Jesus Christ has given his life for us and wants to be our shepherd. Nothing else comes close to that. I don't care how many games the Red Blacks win. Not so big a deal this year. But still, that's the reality. If you're going to be passionate about anything, forget the fact that the next Avengers movie's coming out and get before your God and be like, you are awesome that you chose me. That's worth getting fired up about. That's what making a joyful noise is all about. This is declaring who God is and not declaring how great you are. That's why the songs that we sing in this church, they go through us as elders to make sure they're doctrinally aligned and they're exalting Jesus Christ That he's the focus. It's not man-centric, it's Christ-centric, always, because he's the only one to celebrate. And this is why, notice this, it says in verse 3, know that the Lord, he is God. What's that? Sound doctrine. This is why a growing knowledge of God, of who God is through the sound doctrine of his word, not taking a verse out of context and then twisting it to make God who you want him to be. This is why sound doctrine of God's word is so important. Why? You'll see it on the screen. You cannot truly worship a God you do not truly know. You cannot, you and I, we cannot truly worship a God we do not truly know. Are we worshiping who God says he is or who we want him to be? Who he says he is or who we think he might be. The sound doctrine of God's word is so important through the preaching, through the teaching, through your personal worship. And when you increasingly understand, because here's the beauty of this. When you and I increasingly understand who our creator is, his mercy, his compassion, his love, his power, his goodness, you will not stand here and look bored in church. You just won't. You just can't. You won't stand here like, God, you're so good. Or do one of these. Do you understand who your God is? And the fact that it's just an act of his mercy even gave you breath to take the yawn? You can't stand there and look bored in church. Quiet time, when you seek him in your personal worship, it's not like, well, I'd rather go to my iPhone. You're like, i got to get to the Savior. We'll get more on that in a second. So question, who are your lips declaring? See, our praise reveals how well we actually know our Lord. Let me say it again. Our joyful sound, our praise reveals how well we actually know our Lord. Do you know who he is and what he's done? That is always cause for praise. Who are your lips declaring? You or the Lord? Secondly, we see a second expression of a thankful heart. Thankful praise makes a joyful sound. My lips declare him. But look at this. Gives joyful service. My hands work for him. Look at verse 2. Serve the Lord with Gladness, not with grudging, with gladness. Everyone say, gladness. 
gladness. I love this. The word serve there in the Hebrew means this. To worship through, because sometimes they use the word worship interchangeably with the word serve there. Rightly so. But it means this. To labor or work for the Lord. To labor for him. Not giving him your leftovers. Giving him your service with excellence, with joy and gladness that you and I have the privilege to even do that in the first place. That we aren't worthy of that. Labor or work for the Lord with gladness. What's gladness? Joy. With joy. When you see your name, with, if you're serving in the church, when you see your name come up on PCO, you get that email. It's not like, oh, you're going to get It's like, yes, Sunday's coming. Let's get after that. Or when you have an opportunity to serve your neighbors in the name of God, you serve your neighbors or your coworkers or whatever. It's not like, well, I got to look at my time. It's like, yes, I'm going to serve with joy because of who Jesus is. And that person needs to know them. They need to know him. See, we serve with gladness at the truth that our gracious and loving God has allowed us the privilege to serve him as an act of worship. Is it a privilege for you, loved ones? Is it a privilege to serve your God? Because if it's a privilege, it will be a priority. In the church, outside of the church, is it a privilege that we even get to do that at all? To declare him for who he is, his greatness, his love, his majesty to those around us. Is it a privilege for you? If not, do you know who your creator really is? See, this is why when it comes to our service to God, the mindset is never this. God help us if we go into this mindset. It's never, well, I have to serve. Huh? You have to serve? I think you mean I get to serve. I get to do this. God doesn't need me. And I don't deserve to be on the floor with the baby in the nursery. I get to be to declare my king. I get to get up early to set up the gym. I get to serve my coworker today. I get to serve my neighbor. Not, well, I have to. It's time for a heart check. Are we serving with gladness? as a response to who our king is. That's why it's so important we remember and acknowledge who he is. See, because here's the thing. I see it on the screen. Our service to God is a picture of our thankfulness for God. Our service to God is a picture of our thankfulness for God, who he is and what he's done. See, our service is an act of worship to him in giving thanks for who he is. So question, are you serving the Lord with gladness? Inside this church, I got no qualm whatsoever calling us to serve as the body of Christ. Just read Ephesians 4, read 1 Peter 4, read Acts 6. I'll give you a whole bunch of others. I have no qualms whatsoever about calling this church to biblically serve the Lord and worship him through our service. Are we serving the Lord with gladness in the church but also outside the church? 
to see the body of Christ built up. What's your next step? You're like, well, I don't kind of know what my next step is. I, I, I made an announcement about step two. You can sign up at the back today before you leave or online this week. That's your prerequisite for coming and joining a service team. Find out more about the church. Ask your questions. That's step two. Or if you've done step two here, you've gone through it. What are you waiting for? Jump in. Serve them with gladness that we have the privilege to do so. And I just have to say this. I love our service teams. You have no idea what it's like when I come in this morning and I look in Hope Kids and there's the team huddled around in prayer, praying for your children. Back hallway right there, welcome team, praying over all of you that you would be welcomed in the name of Jesus Christ. And you would know his love for you today through a handshake. Praying with the worship team. I just love it. Sacrificing their time. Driving the trailer at 6 a.m. to get it here to unload. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your faithfulness. What's your next step? Three expressions of thankful worship. Number one. I make a joyful sound, my lips declare him. Number two, I give joyful service, my hands work for him. And number three, it displays joyful seeking, my heart desires him. Look at verse two, back half. Serve the Lord with gladness, and notice this, come into his presence with singing. The word come into there, the Hebrew term means this, draw near or gather before the presence. What's the presence? The face of God. The face of God. This is a joyful desire. When it says with singing, it's talking about with joy. This is a joyful desire to seek the Lord corporately. Now remember, context is key. He's talking about coming to his presence in the tabernacle of the courtyard of the temple. But also... The truth of this goes, applies individually to us each day, coming into God's presence with joy and thankfulness that you even can. Does it matter? Like, honestly, loved ones, your alarm goes off in the morning. There's like usually one or two responses. It's like, no thanks. <laughs> Covers over. You're back in. You're back in. Or it's like, I guess I have to. Or it's like, I get to meet with the king who's waiting for me. Because here's the mindset. When you recognize who God is, did you ever think of this? That tomorrow morning, when you're tempted to hit the snooze and you don't want to set your alarm 10 minutes early to come joyfully seeking the Lord in his presence in your quiet time, think about this. Did you ever think that the God of the universe, the creator and sustainer of all things, the one who Isaiah 46 10 says, he's going to be name dropping the stars in their place tonight calling them out by name, and holding them in place. The one I was looking up at the clouds the other day, and I saw the clouds, I'm like, the one who's the dust of his feet, Nahum says, are the clouds. That God who's over all, the one who's giving breath, the one who's the king over all, who has all authority in heaven and on earth, the very one who myriads of angels, look at this picture, right now are praising in the throne room the one who humbled himself and shed his own blood for you commands us to meet with him so he can show us his power and his glory and his love for us. Does that blow your mind? 
Is that worth getting up for? Is he worth it? Is that worth setting your alarm 10 minutes earlier? Is that worth making sure you come to church on time so you're joyfully seeking the Lord corporately together and not forsaking to meet together? Yes, even in the summer, we don't take a vacation from our faith. Is it worth it? Because God's power is coming down. And this is why, loved ones, this is why we must understand. Because of who Jesus is, this is why it's never just another quiet time. This is why it's never just another Sunday, ever. If we truly believe that the king of the universe wants to meet with his people, then I don't know about you, but I'm gearing up to get here because the glory's coming down. We joyfully seek him. It's not, I have to go to church. It's, I get to go. I don't deserve to be part of the body. I'm not going to take it for granted. So, and I get, I get this, loved ones. Some days it's hard, isn't it? Let me debunk a pastoral myth that every pastor all over the place has these like euphoric quiet times every day where we're just basically ushered into the throne room and we're all good. Listen, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes you go through dry seasons. I get that. But remember in those seasons, the God who loves you and who desires you to seek him has not changed and is ready to fill you. But will you joyfully seek him? What's our next steps? Well, ask him. Lord, help me to want you more. Help me to desire you more. And then just take that step of faith in obedience that he promises to bless. He says, you draw near to me, loved one. And as your shepherd that loves you, I will draw near to you. I will not reject my sheep. Are you living in thankful praise to the Lord? Just look at those three things. Where is your thankful praise not so thankful? Where do we need to say, Lord, help me right there. Where is that for you? See, a thankful heart is a heart of worship that praises God for who he is. And from this, our last point today is this, second posture of the heart. It praises God for what he's done, who he is, and now for what he's done. And the question we're confronted with from these last two verses is this. God has always been faithful to me, always. He's always been faithful to me. Am I publicly declaring this? Am I publicly declaring this? Look at verses four and five. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Look at all these imperatives. Give thanks, bless, enter. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever and his faithfulness to all generations. See, in verse four, the psalmist now repeats the call to the people. It's the same word as in Verse 2, where he said, come into his presence. Now he's saying, enter his gates. Same Hebrew term there. To come and enter into the presence of God in his temple. Now remember, let's give a picture of the temple here. You'll see it. So this is Solomon's temple, a diagram of that. So there's the courtyard that people are being called up to praise in. And the, and the temple has these walls around it. And people would go up to Jerusalem, and they would stand in that courtyard to offer their thanksgiving and praise. Now, what is the term for thanksgiving there? It says, come into his presence with thanksgiving. What does that mean, Hebrew? Give a public declaration or confession. 
to give a public declaration or confession of who God is and what he has done about the Lord, and to do what? To bless his name. Just keep reading the text. To bless his name. Now, if you recall from last week, when it says, I want to bless the Lord, what does that mean? The Hebrew means this, to adore him on bended knee. There's the humility again. God always goes back to the heart. Adore him on bended knee, and enrich, I love this, enrich his reputation by declaring his name among the people in the land. It says, bless his name. Whenever you see bless his name, it means you're declaring his character and his actions. That's what it means to bless the name of the Lord, his character and his actions. This is why, hey, loved ones, when we even bless the Lord, this is why a life of worship is a life of witness. You come into his presence. You come and you declare this is what God has done. You're going to see some God at work stories coming up on a screen in a fall. Lord willing. And you say, this is what God has done. This is who he is. This is your God. And we publicly declare that. And verse 5 goes on to say that Psalm tells us the reason we are to declare God's praise. Here's the reason we do that. With hearts of thanksgiving. Because why? God is what? Good. The Lord is good. What does goodness mean? Make sure we're on the same page. God's definition. Hebrew is this. Kind. Gentle. Full of generosity. And is completely morally good. God is perfected goodness. He is the source and example of all goodness. See, isn't it such a comfort, loved ones? Of course, we're, he's worthy to be praised no matter what we're going through because everything God does for his people is life-giving and beneficial or he would not do it. He would not allow it into your life. Does that just like turn your situation on its head right now? Everything God does, everything God allows into your life is life-giving and beneficial even though sometimes that discipline doesn't feel good. It reaps a harvest of righteousness for those who've been trained by it. That suffering doesn't feel good. That despair doesn't feel good. You see a loved one going through a health issue. That doesn't feel good. But God would not have allowed it into your life if it was not beneficial to you. And his ways are not our ways. And his thoughts are not our thoughts. And that's why we can trust though. And we must believe that he is good perfected goodness or it would not have been allowed over his children. Do you believe that today? That's really the underlying heart question behind so much of our doubt. Do you actually believe God is good? To say God is good, one commentator put it this way, is to say that God is the source of all that makes life enjoyable and worthwhile. That's beautiful. See, all of God's acts that we are commanded to declare and give thanks for come from his goodness towards us. And then in verse 5, what does this look like? He unpacks some of God's goodness. Look at this. The Lord is good. His steadfast love, which endures forever. Remember, there's that word hesed again, which is the steadfast or covenant loyal love that's unbreakable. It is unbreakable, and it's the basis. God's love for us is the basis of all his acts toward us. And it's shown through his what? 
his grace, his mercy. This is God's steadfast love, his kindness, his compassion. See, and remember this. This isn't based on your merit or mine. This is based on God's mercy, not our merit. And then look, there's the steadfast love, but he keeps on going. What does the goodness look like? It endures forever. And his faithfulness, the word there for faithfulness means his truth, his trustworthiness in all situations, his trustworthiness in all things, his loyalty to his sheep is unbreakable. His faithfulness to all generations, not just in your situation, but in every situation to come for you and your children as they turn to him. He will fulfill and keep his promises on behalf of his people for all who call on the name of Christ and are saved. That's why Alan Ross puts it this way. I see it on the screen here. He says this. The end of the matter is this. Thus, God is completely dependable. Someone just needs to hear that today. Whatever your situation, God is completely dependable. When you turn to him, God is completely dependable. He keeps his promises. He fulfills his plans. He never fails. We can say this of no one else, only God. But the problem is, we do not say it enough. We need to preach who God is to ourselves. We need to preach the faithfulness of God to ourselves from his word every day. What are you facing? You need to preach that in right now. You need to remember that and say it to him. Lord, I give you thanks for your goodness right in the middle of this. God has always been faithful to me. Am I publicly declaring this every day in all circumstances to your coworkers, to your neighbors, to your family, in the church? See, am I declaring it with a heart of thankfulness that praises God for who he is and praises him for what he's done? And one of the clearest ways, one of the clearest public declarations or expressions of thankfulness that we can have is to remember the greatest act of God's steadfast love for his people when he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, the good shepherd, to die on our behalf and lay down his life for his sheep so that all who repent of their sin and confess him as their Lord and Savior would receive the forgiveness of sin and be given new life in him, saved from an eternity separated from him in hell. See, Jesus is to be the object of our thankfulness. He is our creator. Points right to him. He is our sustainer. He is our good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. Jesus Christ is God's goodness. Jesus Christ is God's steadfast love. Jesus Christ is God's faithfulness personified. In Isaiah 53, as we go to the communion table, says this, but he, Jesus Christ, was wounded for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his stripes we are healed. 